Welcome to the Organic Wine Podcast. Today's interview is with Andy Brennan. Andy is the owner and cider maker for Aaron Burr Cider, which is his homegrown, wild, natural cidery. To describe Andy in a few short sentences is extremely difficult. He's a guy who I had a ton of fun meeting on this podcast for the first time, and you can hear we have a lot in common in terms of the way we think and approach life and cider and winemaking. Um, he's an enlightened guy who also wrote a fantastic book about making cider and really the art of making natural cider, the economics of it, the, the compromises and struggles to be s- true to your values when making a beverage like a natural wild grown cider and what's involved in letting apple trees speak for themselves. It's an incredible book that was one of the best things I've read in a long time, and I highly recommend it. The name of the book is Uncultivated by Andy Brennan. I had such a fun time talking to Andy. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. He's an incredible guy who I couldn't help but pick his brain about a lot of different topics. So there are many juicy tangents and lots of great explorations of really the philosophy behind natural cider making, natural wine making, and everything related to it. If there's one thing that I do hope you take away from this, if you are new to cider, it's the answer to why Andy is even on this podcast about organic wine. And that's because cider is appropriately a wine in the family of wines, not a beer. And if you've only had cider that's been marketed and sold like beer, you haven't had real cider. Real cider is something like a pet nat in its intent and origins and champagne in its flavor quality and potential for sublime and life-changing even uh, drinking experience. So hopefully this interview, if you're not already, will help you fall in love with cider. Enjoy. The sponsor for today's episode is Centralis Wine. That's C-E-N-T-R-A-L-A-S Wine. You can learn more about Centralis at centraliswine.com. And full disclosure, Centralis is my winery. I started Centralis because I noticed a disconnect between the values that many wine drinkers have and the kinds of wine they choose to drink. I wanted to give those of you who love wine an option to buy wine that reflects your values. So Centralis is built on two pillars. The first is that Centralis wine will always be made with, at minimum, organically grown grapes. And the second is that we will always tell you every ingredient that was added during winemaking. Our first vintage will be released very soon. In fact, it may be available by the time you hear this. And it's pretty limited. So if you want to get some, please go to our website, centraliswine.com, and sign up for our wine list. Or go ahead and buy wine. That's C-E-N-T-R-A-L-A-S wine.com. We're also on Instagram at Centralis Wine, and I can't wait to share our wines with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, Andy, thanks for doing this. Uh, first of all, I really appreciate you joining in and um, 
And I, I want to say I, I read your book, and I just want to thank you for that. It was, I mean, one of my favorite reading experiences in a long time. And uh, I mean, congratulations, but really thank you for for putting that out there in the world. Well, thank you. That's that's nice to hear. Um, yeah, I felt like uh, you know I'm not a I'm not a writer, um, um, so I have that um, a, a extra insecurities about. about about the book that um, a non-writer ought to have. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I, I've been writing creatively and in blogs about wine and just in general. I'm like, I live in LA. So of course I've written a few screenplays and uh, yeah, I'd say you're a writer, man. I, I, I was jealous of your prose for sure while reading it. You know, it, it was juicy. It was, it was easy read, easy reading. Right. I mean, maybe it helps that I completely agree with pretty much everything you say. So there's that, you know, it's always makes, of course, I think you're a genius because I agree with you. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, I, I just wanted to jump right in with a, a question for you. I mean, I like to really talk about big ideas uh, on, on this podcast more than, you know, just like how i mean i like to talk about everything so but I, I like to dig into big ideas so feel free to you know let loose if anything comes up that you want a tangent on but you know since since this is the organic wine podcast i want to start by just asking if you think cider fits either of those words organic or wine well uh, to me um there's really no difference between cider and wine um i make wine i grow grapes um and um and the only difference of course is are the particularities of the uh of the fruit um so uh you know the devil's in the details there so yeah on on that level on the um cider and wine are different but um on the macro level they are one and the same um and um the word organic i have um uh, like a weird relation to, um, yeah. um, because, uh, it, it's, and, you know, and, and same with the word natural, it's, um, tend to be a marketing yeah. terms that, um, that couldn't be further from my particular use of the words organic and, and natural. So, I, I mean, I understand what other people mean, um, or particularly what, you know, when, when somebody's marketing a product as organic or natural, um, generally means something very, very different than what I am talking about. Um, um, yeah, I could, I could go into that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, well, um, so organic as it is certified and in terms of the, um, uh, the marketing is, in my understanding of it, uh, in my, you know, or not just understanding, I mean, I'm, I'm an agriculturalist. It's, um, they are both organic is a form of conventional agriculture. It happens to be a, um, um, the best possible form of conventional agriculture, but it is, um, uh, conventional agriculture and farming are as unnatural as, can be um what the, the, assuming well, this gets into crazy philosophy here but like if you're yeah. it depends on whether or not you believe um 
you know, humans to be, um, you know, everything we do and humans are uh, part of the natural world. We are animals. So, you know, we, we, whether or not you, um, whether you accept um, uh, human action and as natural as, you know, that's for a, a deeper discussion. Um, but uh, long story short, you know, you, you could, con- you could, you could say that anything a human does is natural, including, um, including spraying Roundup and genetically modifying food, you know, that's um, in that sense, because humans are part of nature, what humans do are natural. Um, I I happen to disagree, um, or at least um, maybe, you know, disagree, I'll I'll, I'll use that word, it's um, um, that 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 is natural. Um, um, Myself, I almost feel like uh, I'm an alien, <laughs> an alien. Um, so anything that I do um, is uh, is unnatural. Um, my 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 tendency is um, to do something human versus um, natural. And uh, lo and behold, it's because I'm a human. But um, um, my my version of of natural or organic is something in which um, a human steps back and um, sort of lets nature take the reins of how something progresses. Um, And that is truly the opposite of agriculture or farming. There's not a single farm in the world where you, where you just let things happen. Um, it's not our it's not our instinct to do so mm-hmm. um, we have we have a, a desire we have an expectation we we um, toil with things um, to get that expectation um, realized and and what I just described is the definition of cultivation so that that's cultivation is not natural um, in my you know, sort of like, you know, exaggerated dichotomy way of looking at things. Um, um, it's not the organic way in which, um, which, well, actually I should say organic is in, in some ways a, uh, a compromise there. So organic is a way of sort of cultivating things while realizing that um, nature will have its own, desires and expectations and it will it will realize something that we are not um you know something opposed to what we are (laughs) um trying to achieve um so organic is not a term i use much um uh, but it's um but i i understand it to be um a sort of compromise between um extreme cultivation and extreme natural and it's uh you know it's it's we're gonna have to end up i mean we have to um we have to find something in between and um and my particular philosophy as a grower is um is to lean heavily on the um the uh, the natural side um right yeah i don't know if that I don't, I don't know if that makes I, any I, sense. 
uh okay well okay so i'm gonna jump back to what you something you said that i thought i just resonated is like the best way of putting it that i've never heard before which is uh organic is the best form of conventional agriculture i think that's a really that's a novel way of looking at it and i think it in especially when you're coming when you see the potential for you know to use your term uncultivated growth of these things uh that we consume it's that is a really good way to look at it when you see how big the spectrum is i guess that it you know a lot of people think organic is one end of the spectrum uh is another way to think of it but it's really somewhere on you know in the middle or you know it's it's part of that spectrum at least it's definitely not the end um yeah it couldn't be further from um i mean it's the end the opposite end of the spectrum right yeah it's frustrating to me um you know when i'm selling cider or something that's you know and they ask is it organic and i don't know um and you know i'm like this is wild and they're like yeah but is it organic i'm I'm like well okay so i didn't spray it and nobody has done anything to amend the soil so there's no like fertilizer inputs there's no um yeah herbicide insecticide nobody's putting a fence around it so that the deer and the rabbits can't get to it. I mean, it's, it's like so far beyond organic that it's, um, um, it's like, is it, is a national park organic, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, you know, and, and there's, it's, you can't at a farmer's market and, and 10 seconds, um, explain, um, how their view of the term organic is is incorrect um right but um it's um uh you know i mean when i buy food i i buy organic so it's not like um i'm not right um, i'm not opposed to it i'm just saying it's um it's it's not it's not natural um you can't get there's not a single organic farm that looks the way that farm looked 500 years ago when, you know, when, when it was wild, um, right. It was, um, massive, massive, massive amounts of manipulation go into organic agriculture and it's, uh, which is, um, so like I say, uh, agriculture is, is, um, is, uh, yeah, it's not conventional agriculture is what I would use as a, the term would describe as like the most, sprayed most toxic form of agriculture so i don't want to lump um organic in with that but i do want to lump organic in with agriculture which like conventional agriculture is extremely unnatural yeah that's probably a better way to put that yeah and and it's funny you're talking about manipulation um i want to say do you feel like manipulation is a bad thing (laughs) i mean i (laughs) And here's, and I, I mean, I guess I could approach that from two things. I know you try to get away from it as much as possible, but like, for example, with, uh, uh, I mean, I don't want to take us too much away from the cider topic, but you know, as I've learned, I have a little front yard vineyard here in Los Angeles that I call my experimental vineyard. And I I started by planting vines and thinking like, I'll be organic. And that means I'm not going to do anything to it. Like basically let it be a wild vineyard other than like tying up what grows so that they don't, you know, shade each other too much. So already I was manipulating a little bit. Um, But even then I got lazy and they just sort of did whatever they wanted. And I quickly realized by like, I was able to harvest grapes the third year, which is 
pretty much how long you have to wait for vines. Mm. Uh, and then the fourth year, they just they were they were diseased and dead. Like I had to rip them out. And I, re- I you know, basically realized doing nothing when you're being organic is, is that's not what organic viticulture, at least, is about. It's actually like heavily manipulated. You have to. Um, you know, not only use like sulfur sprays to prevent, you know, they, these are like prophylactics, basically. There's no, nothing that kills in the organic thing, but there are a lot of prophylactic things for mildews, like so sulfur. Well, but, um, and then you also have to train the canopy in a certain way and pull leaves and pull shoots so that you get airflow and light in. And so, I mean, I just found myself basically, uh, you know, because I do like a morning walk every day, I go out and pass through the vineyard and just be like oh there's a leaf i should pull and there's a cane i should tie up you know every day i was doing something in it and and you know i've replanted since and it's been three years since and i just harvested the first thing and the vines look super healthy no disease or mildew on them but it took basically daily manipulation (laughs) and so i you know I, i give that as one side of things where it's like obviously the result this resulted in healthy grapes that were grown without any chemical fertilizers or sprays other than sulfur, which is organically allowed, um, but highly manipulated. And so I just, I don't know, throw that back at you as like that, that question of is manipulation a bad thing? <laughs> um, <laughs> the, you know, this is, it's funny. There's a very fine line between manipulation and persuasion. <laughs> <laughs> And maybe, and here's the here's another thought. I mean, I know wine. You your your forte is cider. Not that you don't know anything about wine, but you know, a question that I wanted to get into is: Do you and can you envision a way that what your your vision for cider and and the, the wild and uncultivated apple trees is? Can you envision a way for that to happen with grapevines and wine? So maybe there's, I don't know, take it, well, take I mean, whatever part of those questions applies or you want to jump into, but. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, there are wild grapes growing right out my window here, but, um, um, yes, I think, yeah, it, yeah I mean, where I, mean, I am but, ha- happens to be a, a fortunate, um, look, um, climate terrain and history um for for wild apples which in which you know i yeah which aren't native um so i mean in that sense they're not truly natural it's it's the word feral is actually better than wild um Mm. uh, but um um for (laughs) grapes would be difficult but uh, certainly the partnership with uh trees um help tremendously and in my case the side of the house um and 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 getting them um up and to where they're not um like in uh where i'm at the bottom of a valley so uh, fogs um are are common and uh, fungal diseases are 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 particularly bad in my area um yeah so yeah having um um elevation helps these grapes uh, produce and it's just like the apples it seems that the wild ones are um uh they'll take years off and um and that (laughs) is not only uh frustrating if you're making a living off of it it's um (laughs) it's you know it's it, it can destroy you if uh waiting for the year that they uh they produce so it's it's this is again part of my you know my extremist philosophy saying that the you know human expectation is 
is is counter to uh, uh, the natural progression of things that um, um, it's um, you know our our need to survive financially is um, puts a particular pressure on on uh, the plant and the seasons and um, the soils and it's so yeah, I, I wouldn't um, I don't you know I don't want to sound like a, a downer but yeah I, I wouldn't say that uh, our expectations are um, truly natural um, or, yeah. or or natural I think they're they're they tend to be counter to um, the way natural nature would proceed and um, and you know and and when you think of nature that way, you're like, well, good. I mean, fuck it. It's nature's an asshole. It wants to kill us. And so, I mean, it, you know, you, depending on how, how extreme you are, you could, you can be like, well, nature's going to, nature wants to kill me. Um, or, you know, it's not providing, um, for me. So I've got to do these things. And, um, yeah, there, therein lies, I think the middle ground and, um, I just happen to embody or, or live in an area in which um, doing nothing um, happens to work um, with um, I can't make wine, but I can make cider. Um, and on not a yearly basis either, by the way, it's, it's about every other year. Uh, right. That's so it, I got lucky or I should say I am lucky that um, that nature is providing a way for me to survive. Um, in this financial man-made world, um, you know, and then, so I say man-made because there's all these, um, you know, these, these things that don't exist in nature that we created. So obviously an economy is, um, is such a thing. Um, I mean, even, even positive things like language, you know, I mean, we, we've created these things. So these, um, so that's, that's, I, that's, I think is, is, what I'm trying to say about there's uh, there's man-made things and natural-made things and right. uh, yeah. Anyway, no, I, I get that. Um, have you ever played around with those wild grapes? Oh uh, yeah, um, they're not delicious. Um, <laughs> they, yeah, and the sugars are particularly low. Um, yeah, yeah, but um, I do use them in a. Um, I, I actually have a. a a, a blend of just whatever forage fruits I can find. I don't sell it, but I, I, do, I make it. It includes, you know, like we have, um, um, that's our base, by the way, the, uh, the wild grapes, it's the juiciest of them, but we have other fruits that I just like to smash them all together. Like, um, there's chokeberry, there's, um, which is aronia, there's elderberry, um, um, blackberry, huckleberry. Anyway, you know, I, I don't make individual wines out of each of those. Um, um, I, I, I just make one. Um, sort of like an upstate New York Pruno. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Attica. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I, I mean, I, I, I understand your vision. I, I mean, I, I, Clearly, there are, uh, we we both know the economic reasons that people haven't embarked on that, but I do feel like it has to do with the the youth of our. Well, I don't know. I mean, obviously, there were cultures that predated the Western cultures, but you think about the wine cultures of Europe, 
go back thousands of years and during that time they they took the wild grapes you know and replanted them from seed until they you know because every, it's just like with apples you know grapes create a whole new species or type of grape when you plant from seed <clears throat> and 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 i mean i imagine obviously i don't have any uh, research to back this up I'll, i'm sure it's out there but i i imagine humans were basically doing their own form of natural selection with grapes for thousands of years before they ended up with Pinot Noir and Cabernet and things that worked beautifully, tasted amazing and worked in that environment that they were in, you know, sort of the indigenous grapes that most, that tasted the best basically, you know, over trial and error over years. Um, I just feel like that's something that could happen. I don't know if it ever will happen in the U S but, um, it, it's it's funny I, i'm just thinking of uh it's almost like at, a uh, reverse evolution um um if that were to happen right where you just sort of you take your hands off the wheel and sort of um um rather than um our um it's you know what you like a cultivated natural selection like we're picking um um certain grapes to be the parents and um and then you know over thousands of years we end up with those particular varieties but um um yeah that would be interesting to um to sort of reverse that uh with grapes and um and we would obviously have to be paying very good attention to what successes um um well, actually, if you if you really just let nature do it, it would be like the the successes um, were the ended up becoming the parents. So, and then they had wild kids, and then of those, um, the ones that grew up got to be um, the parents. And so, yeah, yeah, sort of what you're doing in the the orchard, where you you're spreading it out and and sort of letting natural selection happen and. In, on your property there I'm assuming yeah I mean in, and I just want to repeat that I happen to be very lucky to have um, um, the, um, to be in an area where um, where the apples have been doing that and um, so yeah that the point of my book was to um, um, sort of speak for uh, the process of letting the tree express itself uh, rather than um, cultivate thus thus the title on cultivation but um um and, but what i was finding and we were talking about this earlier um is what i found is what was so interesting about this process of the apples going um sort of backwards in evolution if that's that's not really the correct way of saying it but sort of uh evolving on their own instead of um instead of being guided by us what was interesting is that i found that um that form of uncultivation was happen i mean could happen in in just about every aspect of our lives you know because we are um that, that that's what what we do is we you know we cultivate our our lives so um so whatever lessons i was learning just from observing um apples grow uh, on their own you know that that lesson it could be applied, for instance, for to, to the cider making or wine making process. Um, uh, that um, and that could be applied to the way you run your business and the way you you cultivate relationships. Or uh, um, that um, that well, for instance, the the easiest analogy would be so the way the apple 
um, has acclimated to a particular area, um, it's, you know, it, it, it does so without the guidance of our, um, of our manipulation. So it wouldn't make sense to then take those apples and ferment them conventionally with, you know, sulfites and filtration and, and temperature manipulation and all those. So it was, so for that, um, taking apples that were sort of, that were just grown in a, um, at, at their, due to their own magic, um, it, it made sense for me to ferment, um, to change the way I ferment. I was, um, cause when I first started making cider and wine, it wasn't, I was coming from a beer. Uh, I first made beer, you know, you're, you're, um, the, the heat pasteurizes things and then you pitch the yeast. And so I had this, like this fear of, um, you know, wild yeast and, um, and, and this great desire or, or this, um, this reverence that everybody has for like sanitation and stainless steel, you know, it's like, Oh, it's stainless steel. It must be clean, you know? And, um, so, I mean, I, I had that. And so I, I had to sort of, um, basically follow the wild apple when it came to, um, forming a new philosophy on, on fermentation. And, um, and again, I, I found that that was a, that was a compatible, um, uh, uh, cultivation to the way I ran my business, or at least originally I had these great expectations for my business and then just sort of let, let things take a different course. So anyway, that's, that was what the whole point of the book was, I think was, was trying to take, like this little micro phenomena, which is the the wonder of wild apples, and extrapolate on a macro scale, perhaps too grandiose. Um, but that's what my that's just the way I think. No, I think it. it I think it worked. Uh, I mean, from my perspective, I, I, you know, maybe it's because our minds work similar yours and mine. But I don't know how you can. I mean. Well, I'll just put it this way, you know, a, a big part of the mission of this podcast and what I do with wine is to is connection and reconnecting people to each other and to the earth and to you know, wine and cider as as part of, you know, as an agricultural thing and and that it's important to know, you know, what what's going on. Like, you know, I'm, I live in Los Angeles, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, the consumers for your products and my 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 future wine will be in in cities and, and i and i think you know that's because of the the populations are now in cities and it's like we've lost that connection uh by not living out where you live and and doing what you're doing to to seeing how inextricable these products are from the way that they were grown and the way that they were created um and and so i, I guess my point is that i i don't know you know, I mean, it's very important for me to connect the micro with the macro. Uh, and I don't, mm -hmm. it might just be because my mind works the same way as yours in that. But I think that's, I think it worked in your book. And I, yeah, <laughs> I will, I will definitely uh, plug the book for you, uh, for anybody listening, that it's definitely a great read. And, and those parts about the economic considerations that you went through and the processes that you went through are, are just as fascinating as, you know, your obvious passion for apple trees and, um, and observing their wild 
nature and and growth processes it's all yeah it really you know i i think it all intertwines very very well uh, at least it did for me um i would you say there's a, a a bit of path of least resistance in that uncultivation thing like you know I've, I've always sort of been like um you know when i was single my you know my friends would be talking about the kinds of uh of kinds of you know like my guy friends would be talking about the kinds of women that they were into and i'd be like you know what i like girls that like me um <laughs> 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 uh, is there a little is there a little bit of that like in in terms of both business and 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 apple quote-unquote farming and making that uh that it's that path you know just what presents itself is the one that you should follow and then if that you know when that dead ends or cul-de-sacs you just find the next path that leads away from that Mm, i really like that uh analogy um it's um yeah and uh wow we we really do think alike (laughs) um um with so i mean for me i i like I get lost in my, in my strategy if I don't constantly like just go back and think about apples and how they, what my actual observations are. Um, and, um, um, because our theories and our, our dogmas or whatever are, um, you know, often just that or ungrounded. So when I'm like, for instance, when I was learning to grow apples, I was told, you know, via the great pomologist, like you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. And that list goes on forever. And you have to worry about this, 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 and that list goes on forever. Right. Um, and then it, it had gotten to the point where I just like, this is impossible. I can't possibly be an apple grower. I can't afford it. I don't have the right soil, but, <clears throat> but lo and behold, there's just open my eyes and there's apple trees. And it's just like, how is this possible that people are telling me one thing and it's just it's exactly, it's not true. It's just not true. It's, um, apple trees are doing fine here. Um, so how, how is it that they are doing fine here? And, and, um, so, and again, it's just like, well, uh, for me, it's like, stop messing with it and stop telling it <laughs> what to do and it will be fine. Um, well, like, another thing I was thinking about is just how I don't want to say humans are not natural. We are natural, but our expectations are, are just so, so different um, than what, than what you actually get. And one of the great analogies or, or examples of this is just the way the apple tree reproduces and it's, uh, you know, this big apple tree out my window here it, it, on a big year produced 10, almost 20 bushels sometimes. And, and each of those, you know, that's 140 apples in a bushel. And each of those has five seeds. So 140 times five times 20, we're talking thousands of, of seeds. And they're all going out into the world um, in the hope that one or two apple trees will survive. And you just think how different that is from the way humans reproduce where we every nine months we have one maybe if we're lucky we have twins but we have one baby and we're just going to protect the fucking hell out of that and that's what farming is we we were invested so deeply in our in in this case trees or vines we we bought them that's an investment we spent the time our time investment we you know we we bought the land we're paying taxes on the land we're paying somebody 
or we're paying ourselves sweat equity to, to get these things in the ground. I mean, it's a whole hot invested in just one vine. And that's just not what nature does. Nature just throws it all out there. And, and it's, yeah, so it's our reproduction uh, methods are like, just like a glaring example of how different our expectations are. And, and so it makes sense that farmers, even the most quote unquote natural or the organic farmers are still heavily, heavily invested in, uh, in, something that is not natural to an apple or, or a vine. Yeah. So are, you, are you saying then that we should all have at least a dozen kids and at least, and hope that one or two make it to a <laughs> reproductive age? Well, I, I'm from an Irish family and just like two generations ago, that was the strategy. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, that's a really great insight. Um, I mean that, that must deeply inform our psychology in the way that we think about so many things. And that is such a great insight into just seeing that, that difference between us and nature. I think I've, there's this great quote that I learned again, you know, as part of a, a screenwriting background, when you're telling stories that all conflict arises from a violation of expectation. <laughs> and you, you, th- you think of like man versus nature, you know, and, and again, like that, why it's described as man versus nature, uh, you know, or human versus nature is much better way to put it. But, um, again, like you're, you've, I think you've nailed it with just, it's about our, our our expectations. Um, it's really, that's, that is very cool. Well, I mean, Um, every farmer I know will call me on that as you know, and say, it's just bullshit. I've heard so many times that, uh, you know, like humans are, humans are part of nature we're animals we have our expectation as part of nature so it's um um it's i i hear them i know what they're saying um but um you, you take you that to a spectrum um i i would say there's yeah there's definitely a, a spectrum but i like i yeah, like i say to one ex, one end of that spectrum to an extreme um if you're going to concede that um, everything humans do is, um, and humans are part of nature, our expectations are part of nature, um, then, then why even bother growing organic? Why just, um, you know, why not just uh, GMO and, and um, <laughs> you know, uh, round up your crops? I mean, just, you could, you could if you're going to say that, that sort of... Um, I think yeah. you... You, you talk about this in your book where you talk about the the, the necessity of questioning where we are I, I'm, I'm doing I'm gonna do a disservice to how you put it but essentially what I got out of it uh, grossly paraphrased is the sense that you know it's imperative to I guess continue to evolve in our thinking about what is the best way to cultivate things like um, that we need to constantly be questioning and that, you know, you know, for a long time. And I, and I think, and this is something I want to get into about why, why maybe we see things changing now. Um, but for a long time, we thought we had all the answers. I mean, we thought we had conquered nature and, and now <laughs> there's clearly a renaissance, uh, at least I see a renaissance of rethinking that. Um, mm. and you know, I would call it an organic Renaissance, but like we've already talked about, it's, it's bigger than that. You know, um, uh, you know, we are, our world is unhealthy, we're unhealthy and, 
and we're beginning to realize a big part of that is the way that we've been thinking about our agriculture. Um, and yeah, I think as and I think you've you've talked about you know just how the in your book at least you definitely talk about that. I, I don't know, maybe you can say better what I'm trying to paraphrase, but just the the reevaluating and and keeping and I guess like re-questioning our assumptions. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to end up sounding very conservative, um, whereas my background is actually quite progressive. But um, um, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't see that that taking some measures to step back are a sustainable solution at this point. I think it has to be much, much more radical, and. Uh, I mean, it could have been uh, when our population was like a third of what it is now, or, or um, but um, that you know we could have proceeded at a different um, uh, pace. But now I now I just kind of feel like we're painting in a corner. I don't. I mean, I just uh, I don't I don't see it ending well. <laughs> so that's um, yeah. I mean, that's you know, that's just my. Uh, yeah, I don't know, Malthusian way of looking at things, but um, uh, just, yeah. no, I, I, it's funny. I, 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 I had a sense that you might feel that way, um, and, and just by chance, yesterday I was I, I was driving up to to wine country, so it's a long drive from LA. It's a couple hours, so I'm listening to podcasts, and I'm I'm listening to a, like a permaculture podcast right now. I couldn't tell you the name. I'll I'll, I'll look it up, and you know, if you're interested, I'll send you information about it. But. Hmm. Um, Basically, it it was a, a guy uh, who has received I don't know maybe like a Nobel Prize even for his work in, and what he creates are um, ecological he engineers biological systems to clean up toxic human waste and leaky landfills and stuff like that and he's done it successfully like he's he's figured out ways to let nature clean itself and and he just you know engineers it basically so he cre- created i don't know very very impressive very hope giving uh work that he's doing like he's going to the 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 like he, one of the mottos of, of his school was do good things in bad places um or something like that and and he said this is what i'm getting to is he said you know when he started teaching um he saw all these bright young minds of people who care deeply clearly about the things that you and I are talking about right now, the same kind of things and the future of the world. And, and we're sort of despairing because they didn't know what to do. And, uh, and his, he realized his whole mission sort of shifted in that moment to giving them practical ways that they can actually make the world better and that they, you know, to give hope to his students. And, and he had so, I mean, he, like he was very hopeful <laughs> and and he seemed to know a lot more than I do about um, what the ills are as well as what solutions we have to treat them. Um, and it's funny, like and this is not a plug for organic because, you know, obviously we've already talked about the complications with that word. But, you know, his his number one thing was what you can do practically just anybody can do is just buy organic food. You know, eat what you eat, you know, make sure you support that kind of agriculture mm-hmm. um and you know that's uh, you know, a big part of what i'm trying to do as well is just promote that kind of practical step 
that can be done. But anyway, it was it was very hopeful, and and I I wanted to share it with you, and I've done a bad job of giving you any details that would be specifically hopeful. But but uh, I, I'll I'll send you a link or something to that. It, it, he's uh, he's he's a brilliant guy that I think everybody should know more about. It's, and and I was gonna bring what you're talking about, like when we started talking about organic and where that is in the spectrum. You know, a lot of what I'm learning about permaculture is uh, sounds a lot closer to what you're talking about. Like if, if there's a word for it besides uncultivated um, or natural, it, it, permaculture seems to definitely be solidly in your camp. You know, it's and, and I'm just the more like wine for me as, as apples were for you. Wine has been this sort of path that has led me to go deeper and dig deeper into these things that we're talking about now and, and agriculture. And I'm finding myself now listening to podcasts and doing research about permaculture and all this body of knowledge that's out there that really does harken back to what you're talking about, like finding the wild plants and fruits and every, you know, edible things that grow naturally in your area and thrive naturally, giving them a space to do that and letting them do it basically. And um, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that other than to say, do you, do you feel permaculture? Have you, have you looked into permaculture as a, well, like, yeah, um, I have a couple of good friends who are, um, uh, part of the, um, a permaculture sort of activist group. And, uh, of course, most of the growers who I, um, I most, uh, sympathize with are, um, are, would consider themselves permaculture. Um, and they would, say what I'm doing is, is a version of that as well. Um, yeah. so I, 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 um, I empathize with that term, uh, sympathize. I don't ever get those words. Right. Um, but, um, um, yeah. And, um, like I said, the, the term organic, um, is, is, uh, a little less specific, um, than permaculture. Most people who are permaculturalists are, are, philosophically they're already on board with the organic thing but not vice versa um um for instance if you're if you're if you're growing your garden uh via permaculture you're you're you're, you're not likely to um use uh, uh lores ban or malthion or you know um as insecticides where um where um Organic growers, though, as a whole, um, or particularly at the commercial level, um, are still growing pretty much in a monoculture. They've got they're trying to maximize their um, right. whatever you know whatever acreage they are, um, and they're utilizing the economies of scale, which which by that. Um, by that measure, it means uh, reducing the amount of um, um, switching from crop to crop. Um, it's why apples have gone from an infinite potential varieties to um, to just having five varieties that you get in the store. It's because the farmer doesn't want to. Um, uh, each tree is susceptible in different ways to the uh, the bacteria and the insects, and they grow differently. Um, different vigor, different um, different needs, different harvest times, different marketing. So if you reduce all of that, which essentially that's the philosophy of monoculture, is you, re you reduce all the 
variables so that you can maximize um, your acreage. Um, that's, um, yeah, that's, I have to say, most organic growers are still sort of in that camp. They're trying to maximize whatever they, whatever soil they happen to own, which again is one of the lessons of growing or or just foraging is that you like you can't think of it's it's just not sustainable to think that your farm ends at, at that property line um right so it's um i think and that's and we're talking about artificial pressures and um, um that is one of those pressures that's one of those great illustrations is that you've got you've got 10 acres you've got to maximize that 10 acres um your your property ends there, so it's that's that's so it's, it's just completely artificial. You look down on uh, satellite image, you're not going to see the line. Um, we've created that line. So anyway, I just yeah, uh, yeah I think the, the the philosophy of permaculture is um, to me more profound than the um, commercial use of the term organic for sure. Right. Yeah, I, um, you know, it's funny you bring that up. I, it's a good segue into a, something I wanted to talk about, which is, um, so like we keep wild bees here in our backyard in Los Angeles or from time to time we have whenever they've decided to move in. We just put out hives. They move in from time to time, stay for a few years, maybe die, maybe move off or whatever. Um, and, you know, when you understand how these how bees live and you get to observe them in close quarters like that it you get this really amazing visual of a super organism mm. um and just how none of them really in any way is separable from in the sense of their livelihoods from the hive and you can really physically observe this yeah uh but but then one winter i you know i had this mind-blowing realization i started noticing for the first time that like humans are doing that right well, well, <laughs> well, that too, that too. And, and I, and I, but I mean, even more keeping it with the bees for now is like, I noticed that they would swarm, of course, right, of course, what you said, but I would notice the, the, the thing that I noticed with the bees is that they would swarm before a rainy season. So like they, like uh -huh. we, we'd had this years of drought and this, like there would, there just weren't that many swarms. You didn't see that many bees. And, but it was like when the rain came, the swarms came first. I mean, and when I realized, wait, they would have had to have been breeding the new queen, which they need, you know, to reproduce, to create the swarm, to send off, to create a new hive. They would have been needing to do that long before any, you know, rain was even in long range forecast, which meant that they somehow knew instinctively whether it was going to be a wet or a dry spring. And my realization was that they're actually part of the weather, that they are the weather. Wow. <laughs> and... And they, yeah. they're they not a super organism in the sense of unto themselves as a hive. They're a super organism that encompasses all of nature and their environment, even out into the oceanic currents and weather patterns of thousands of miles away over the Pacific Ocean. And I was like, I had this like, holy shit moment. Where it's yeah. Like, this is amazing. Like they're, you know, they're sensing, they know things that transcend even our technological abilities to know. Um, it, it, anyway. It makes me, I say all that because you bring up the idea in, un, in uncultivated, um, and, I'm, and I'm paraphrasing, but cider as a, as a super organism. And of course, you just mentioned that humans are similar and that we can't be separated from each other. Um, but and I'm going to quote now because I wrote this down for, you know, this is from uncultivated. For cider to be whole, it must be alive. 
one with the life of the trees, the people, and the microorganisms. It's not a representation of these things. It is these things. And of course, I would agree with that. And I think it applies to wine as well. And I'm wondering if maybe you can talk about how you might seeing that apply to to wine as in the same way that you see it as applied to cider. It's um or or talk about the concept in general, yeah. however you want to talk about it. It's um you know accessing some of the um some of these thoughts as I wrote them is impossible without considering what has happened in the meantime with the um with the uh the virus and um mm-hmm. I think that I, and when you were talking about the bees, I, I can't stop thinking about how um, how one we are um, as uh, our our society. You know, and I was I was one of those people early on when I was coming out, like 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 a lot of people. Well, like why does everybody have to be um, like shut their lives down. It's like, that doesn't happen with the flu. The people who are sick, they stay at home and the people who are susceptible, they, you know, they, they protect themselves and, um, uh, quarantine themselves if possible. But, uh, the more I thought about it, it's just, it's just not, it's just not, we're, it's like, we aren't that way. I don't think nature is that way. It's that's sort of a monocultural way of looking at things that, uh, mm. we, like we are just all one. And, um, yeah, I think, um, for me, maybe I I hope it's not a a futile challenge, um, to, um, try to learn the, the wisdom of the way these apple trees are, are surviving on their own, but they're not on their own. That's what's so crazy about it. They're like, you know, they're so independent. They're, they're communicating with, with maple trees and pine trees and they're communicating with other apple trees on the other side of the mountain. Um, and the, the birds, literally the birds and the bees, I mean, they're, they're, they're all part of this. Um, so for, for me, um, yeah, just, um, just tuning out expectation or, or what I think I know, um, is, is, the best chance I have of, of, of actually learning anything. <laughs> if, um, <laughs> yeah, I, um, I should say I'm always wrong. That's a great phrase. Uh, the more I know, the more I know, I, I don't know. I don't even know the phrase. Maybe, you know, it. Yeah, I, th- I think the way you said it is perfect because you didn't know the phrase about not knowing what you know. You know. <laughs> um, that's funny. I, I, uh, yeah, I agree. I, th- I think that is good, and I, I, that's the funny thing about expertise, I guess, and the idea of experts um, in in things in anything really. I always love um, experts in religion. My my degrees in religion, so I oh, always yeah? love the the idea of an expert in religion. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm like. I mean, you can know, you can memorize the holy books, but I don't know how you get to be, an, and you can know, I mean, you can know about the histories and, you know, but to answer the questions of religion, nobody can be an expert in the thing. So yeah. It's like, yeah. Um, anyway, I digress. But I, I, my experience with cider, I just, I, I think I mentioned this to you when I first asked you to, to come on the podcast was, was, you know, I, and I think this is, 
the big concept that I think when I talk about cider that I, you know, I'm, you helped uh, solidify in your book, but I think just the, the easy entry for people is don't think about cider as, as beer. Don't associate it with beer, associate it more with wine. And really I would say based on like my immediate impression was like associated with something like champagne mm-hmm. um, where it's, I mean, I was sort of blown away. I was just like, I, I took my mom, we were going to, my sister lives in upstate New York. We were going to visit her, but uh, I just did a little road trip with my mom so we could have some mother son time. Um, this was just a couple years ago. And we drove up to the Finger Lakes up through Ithaca and did a little tour between Cayuga and Seneca Lakes and stumbled upon a, a cidery there. And it was like, oh, it's, you know, and it's organic. And I was like, great, let's check it out. We were just stopping wherever we were going for wine, but we were, we stopped at a creamery and we were like, let's stop at the cidery and went in and I was like, wait a minute, like, these are like wine bottles and they, there are varieties. There's like species, you know, like there's this Northern spy and there's like, and then they're doing them in a brute style. And I was tasting, I was just blown away. I was like, this is incredible. Like there is as much potential, if not more potential to cider than wine, you know, than wine in some ways because of the sort of, you know, learning from you, the infinite varieties that can come out from seeds and things like that and can actually be ideal for cider. Um, And, you know, I, I mean, a lot of times I think now the East coast should just stop its attempts to, to, to grow wine and just grow apples, which I think are much better acclimated to the East coast. But um, can you envision a, a future in which the Northeast is, you know, cider from the Northeast is, becomes like Pinot Noir from Burgundy or something to that equivalent where it's just like, people get it. Like people finally, are like, oh, this is like the finest expression of something that is perfectly situated to this terroir, to this place, and is so fine and so beautiful that can't be replicated anywhere else. I, I can, uh, I can, you know, I, I can look into the past and see the future um, that way. It's because yeah. it's it, just uh, two hundred years ago. It was, um, um, I think the the people had that appreciation um for the complexity of 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 location and the um complexity of variety that apples have that have genetically that potential for and um yeah it was all destroyed by uh by progress of agriculture um the, those artificial pressures to uh, to get big, or is that you know that that great that great phrase from the uh, Secretary of Agriculture, uh, "Get big or get out," um, <laughs> it is um, that bleak. <laughs> yeah, it's super bleak. Um, so I mean, I, I, it's it was there, um, and it was you know when you you look back at 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 journals you you more often than not find it was just a sort of uh crude uh drink and it was um not particularly um uh you know 99 percent of it was just sort of like you know the house wine uh made um with people who have greater concerns than cider um 
Um, but there are those people as there are in, you know, this one out of a hundred or two out of a hundred or whatever the number is that people who approach things as an art are going to just get, you know, crazy about it. And, um, uh, that with that genetic diversity 200 years ago, um, and that, and being that the entire population, so 100% of the population was basically drinking cider or making it themselves, that, you know, just 2% is going to, is that, that was a substantial number. Um, um, probably like the great, the people who are approaching cider now and sort of to some artistic standard, um, even though the population is maybe a thousand, not a thousand times, but I don't know, maybe a hundred times greater now. Um, still doesn't equal the number of artisans making cider back then uh, just by virtue of the fact that cider drinkers today are, are, you know, it's like one out of a thousand people or something like that. It's this, this minute thing. Um, but, you know, wine, wine, of course, has been given great attention. And, um, and um, so what's exciting, I think, for a lot of people is that cider hasn't been given that attention. Um, I'm, I, I, I disagree pretty vehemently with the rest of the industry about sort of developing it um, in this uh, just to, to, to meet modern uh, expectations. Um, but, um, uh, but even on that, le- yeah, on that level, it's, um, it's, it's, um, it's potential is, is exciting. And, and, and that's why you saw so many people like the Boston beer company, the, uh, Sam Adams getting into cider and Heineken and all these people, you know, they, they saw, uh, hopefully they're out now, but they, they saw this, you know, great. Yeah. I uh, think they've made dollar the hard sense yeah, <laughs> thank God. <laughs> yeah, just I, chasing chasing yeah. the trends. <laughs> yeah, and their marketing was just so nauseating. I mean, it, it, you know, it's yours. I like that. You know, yours. You are your friends. You are your company. And um, so when you see uh, sort of nauseating, when you're seeing your the thing you make being marketed in this sort of nauseating way, it's embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, yeah. like, don't give people the idea that's what cider is. Yeah, I mean, if anybody takes anything away from this podcast, I, I would want them to know that, you know, I, for I mean, for a long time, I was turned off by cider. I would just be like, somebody would go to a bar and order a cider, and I'd be like, no, gross. Like, why would you order a cider? <laughs> and now that I know, now that I've had good cider, like, I would, I would drink it any day over just about anything. Uh, you know, even wine sometimes because it's, I mean, when it's good, it's that good. And, and it's not, it's not a beer alternative. It is its own very special. I mean, it really is more like champagne. Like I just, that, that experience the of a complex, like the best champagne I've ever had is, is easily on par with, you know, a decent cider, cider that I've had that was made that way. Um, yeah. And just like you had mentioned the finger lakes, they, that area, I don't know if they're doing this on purpose, but, um, their, their ciders are particularly champagne. Like, um, I think it, they're, uh, no, the, could, the yeah, yeast maybe. and the disgorgement, the cleanliness of the drink is it's it sort of a regionally, it does, uh, does put up, um, 
a number of great ciders that are quite champagne-like. Yeah. And then, and I mean, and you can talk about, you know, how maybe yours is a little di- different because I know it must be, and I don't want to say it's all going to be like this uh, pristine, you know, uh, Grand Cru champagne experience in terms of clarity and the bubble, the bubble texture and everything else. What, what, what should people expect in terms of a, a good cider that maybe you make? Well, my, my ciders, I, I don't empath I'm don't, I don't want to be uh, like, I don't want to be, uh, my, I don't want to be like in a champagne crowd or, or like, you know, the sort of exclusive wine. I've always uh, like, uh, my 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 sympathies are always with like the hillbilly um so i i kind of like and when i when i first had my first great cider it was um it, i don't think it was west virginia it might have been from pennsylvania like the mountains and it was uh but you know it's um some would say it's crude but it's a it's an acquired um taste to have that sort of amount of uh, yeast sediment and and apple sediment and um it's maybe and, more equivalent to like a pet nut if if people oh, are for sure the yeah. wine, right and yeah so you're getting you're getting a little haze you're getting a little of the the yeast sediment because you're finishing the fermentation in bottle mm-hmm. um and you get that and, texture which is um which you know I, that's the to me that's one of the great crimes and in the wine world it's it's disgorging but uh <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's um but you gotta do what you gotta do when you're when your customer expects it uh to well, yeah i i i mean i i'm i'm assuming you've you've seen a, a change to some degree in customer expectation especially if if you're dealing with new york because I mean, I know LA and New York are pretty much two epicenters for the natural wine movement. And, you know, I, I mean, there are multiple stores dedicated to wine that has sediment in them, you know, now. Yeah. And I, I, I'm assuming the same, you've seen that same transition in the past few years. Is that true? Yeah, that's, that's been, um, yeah, just to be able to even talk about it is, um, is, with you know like regular people at the farmer's market is um it just that wasn't possible uh even maybe two or three years ago um much less 10 years ago so it's um it's yeah it's been a great um and, and surprisingly fast um uh, uh learning process by the general public to, to sort of accept um or or at least to come to like a rudimentary idea of what natural wine is in it. Um, yeah, I mean, we're still, we're, we're still got a long way to go, but, um, it's, uh, yeah, yeah it's yeah. helpful. Yeah. Right. And, uh, now can I ask you a, another question? I mean, basically I just wanted to ask you about cider making. Do you need to go? No, no, I'm, um, I, um, I, I, I actually, I was, you were talking house building earlier and uh, I just poured a cement slab. So I'm watching it cure now. Uh, <laughs> nice. Yeah. After having weathered the, the tropical storm, how'd that go? Uh, yeah, I was, uh, um, it, it went fine for us. We, we're okay. live on the side of the mountain, which, um, means we don't get flooding, um, unless it's coming down from above and passing us, but it doesn't sit on our property. Um, like some people and, um, 
wasn't wasn't uh, violent enough winds to blow down trees or anything. No, there, there's a lot of power outages and um, trees down. You know, we did get like six inches of rain, so it's um, it was oh wow yeah. a lot for um, to um, to take in in such a short period of time. But it's it's nothing like um, Hurricane Sandy or Irene or yeah. a, a really bad one. Yeah, but- Okay, cool. So the I guess the the final thing that I wanted to ask you about was uh, so in cultivate uncultivated. You say I'll just use this as my entry to what I really want to ask you. You say um, cider should be led by the apple and its place of origin, not the microorganisms or the human hand. Um, and so I what I want to ask you about is practically speaking. Let's say I found some apples here in Los Angeles that I wanted to make cider with. Mm-hmm. How how would I make cider the way that you make cider like really in detail but but also i mean I, you know for making wine i'll just throw this out there i i kind of want to understand well and, and i know there's a difference between keeping the fizz in which definitely adds a protective element to the to the cider or the wine so with like a pet nut or a cider you know finished in bottle um you get that co2 protection but are you literally adding no sulfites at any no. stage no. no, I wouldn't do that. Never. Okay. None. I mean, I, like I have in the past, and um, the, like micro amounts to apples that I really wanted to use that had um, rot on them, and I could smell vinegar. Um, but no, I don't. Yeah. I, I don't do it because it just like. Um, uh, I, I, although I do have one cider that is not natural. Um, it's fa- it's farmed. Um, so for that, um, uh, I don't add sulfites but um the um they're they're sprayed on the the plant you know as um right anyway like sulfur. yeah, yeah. Um, that's like what we would i do too like powdered sulfur or micronized sulfur or something yeah but you, i mean what i've found with wine um you know because i've been drinking a lot of natural wines just to try to get a sense of what's out there and even when i've asked for and these are still wines, but even when I've asked, you know, a person at the store who knows that their selection, you know, give me something that doesn't taste microbial. Um, I want to taste the fruit, you know, but make it a zero zero wine, like make it a yeah. sulfite wine. Even then, like in the best case, there's a pretty high level of volatile acidity. Some sort of, you know, acetobacter thing has happened. It's very yeah. sour on the palate, you know, like, and, and I'm not tasting something that I enjoy, you know, I'm tasting. And and I get there's an expectation thing that I need to get over. Yeah. But, and maybe that's all it is. But I, but I also feel like there's got to be something, you know, I don't know. There, there's, <laughs> and maybe, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I guess like, how do you, how would you make, like, well, I, I think my ciders actually do taste clean uh, compared to what you're describing. Um, okay, they're not um, they're not overwhelmingly uh, bready or or um, or have that volatile acidity. Um, um, okay, so I think yeah, yeah with, I do. Acid. You have to do, you know, I mean, like cultivating a relationship to the yeast is exactly like cultivating uh, apple trees. Um, And you can't, you don't get fruit overnight. It's um, it's in order to get, I think, your farm uh, producing uh, in this sort of 
like beautiful whole way where um, the trees are thriving, the bees are thriving, the soil's thriving, uh, the, the forest is thriving. Um, I think that same philosophy goes to cultivating yeast and um, uh, the, the, the environment in which your cider is fermenting. And um, I didn't start um, organically. I started with a lot of, um, you know, pitched uh, lab yeast and um, I yeah. still use it like um, in one of our ciders. Um, so it's it's definitely one of the components that are in the air in the um, microbial environment of my barn. But right, I save right. all I save all the yeast from year to year, from batch to batch, um, and um, and I use those. I sort of taste through those at the beginning of the fermentation season, just and and I include that in in the initial fermentation. So that's in the air as well. But then of course you've got the yeast on the apples and. Um, I, I have no idea what yeast is actually fermenting <laughs> um, right. cider, but um, um, in order to keep the taste clean, I think there, there you have to do a, a several things. Um, obviously, cleaning the equipment uh, for me is um, is um, pretty important. Um, that's I'm very I'm very vigilant about. Um, cleaning the pumps and the, the press and the, and the, and the barrels. But I uh, so you can't, you can't ferment, um, in warm temperatures. Um, it just, it, it, that I think is, um, destroys the, um, the, uh, whatever biome is, is on the apples. It's like a, like a hot fermentation. It's like, uh, I think it's akin to like boiling something on a, on a stove, mm-hmm. yeah, you sort of yeah, cook it the later. Pasteurization kind of thing. Yeah, so I, I can't start fermenting until October around here, and um, it's, it's done way too often um, where people are are um, are using sort of mid season apples and fermenting in in warm temperatures, or using the the recommendations of the um, of the lab yeast, you know, bringing the temperature up to like 70 degrees or something like that. Um, mm. I, I think, um, <clears throat> yeah, I think those are all, um, um, detriments to, um, to the, um, to the profile eventually. Um, but, uh, for, um, it, it just, it's trial and error, um, for me, like finding the exact right time to pick the apples and right time, which is to say as late as possible. But, um, but when to ferment as well. And, um, and I, you know, I'm, I, I don't, I'm not under a microscope looking at what, uh, yeast are, are, are dominant or, or it's all just by blind taste test, um, which ones I like. And I've been sort of cultivating in that direction for a long enough period of time that I've, I can say that, um, I'm, you know, year by year, it's, I'm, I'm less nervous about the, about the, um, them going in a in a bad direction. I I feel like I've got a good environment now and I've got a good grasp of how to keep things um, uh, clean enough to my liking. Um, and that's what that was your your quote about like you don't let the the bacterial note dominate. Um, I think that's I think that's important. I, I don't particularly uh, admire or love I've um, ciders that are that are funky. <laughs> yeah. Or wild. Yeah, me, me either. 
Yeah. And so you're not doing any lab analysis at all? No. Okay. Just, yeah, just got it. I mean, I, I feel like that's, especially if you're not adding sulfur, there's no reason to really. Um, yes. Just go. But having said that, you, you gave some numbers in the book about, if I remember correctly, you said you're, you're producing about 1500 gallons a year. And of that, about 300 of it, you're going to determine is unusable for cider because it's it because something happened microbiologically in the course of it fermenting and aging and and it becomes vinegar or or something else yeah um, our malolactic a- note is the most common thing it becomes the that the, the buttery quality that happens in the spring becomes too dominant or something like that right uh, now i'm okay. holding on about five or six hundred gallons of cider that's just too Tastes too much like um, butterscotch. So, it's, oh, so, yeah. it, it, so based on that, I'm guessing when it's the way you want it to taste, it hasn't gone through a malolactic conversion like like a lot of wine is allowed to go through to just to have that stability. You're you're somehow there's still malic acid in your bottled cider. Yeah, definitely. That's which okay. it, it makes our ciders. And, um, I like that bright quality. Um, yeah. Right. And there's how are you preventing it from converting? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Um that's amazing. Uh, yeah. I, I mean it just yeah, like cuz I know is, a winemaker who adds like some um some enzyme which converts, you know, it'll eat the it'll eat the malic acid so that like um uh, and you tell me if I got this right. It's, there's some enzyme or yeast that you add uh, in the beginning of the fermentation, which eats the malic acid in the grape. Um, well, I don't even think there's much malic acid in the grape, but it'll um, it'll eat that particular acid so that it won't convert to a lactic acid later. Um, oh, uh, that's interesting. I, yeah. I haven't heard that, but uh, because I mean, only you know, the only thing that I I know is. Just like natural yeast, native yeasts are on the grape skins. The bacteria that eats the malic acid and converts it to lactic acid are ambient as well. And so if you're trying to make a natural wine, you pretty much have to allow it to go through malic acid, malolactic conversion, they call it. Or at some point it's going to happen in the bottle and you're going to get weird, you know, you're going to get some funk because it's going to be producing you know, CO2, you're going to get spritz, you know, mm-hmm. if you're trying to make a still wine and it hasn't gone through that, you're going to get a sparkling wine, you know, whether you want to or not, yeah. uh, or at least a spritzy wine. Um, and my guess is that apples just have an, a shitload of malic acid so that even if some of that happens, it's such an acidic environment that the bacteria can't, just can't do it all. They can't convert it all. Um, that would be my guess. Yeah, that's my guess too. I, I, but I, I have zero interest in, in actually learning. And you know, though it might help me tremendously, I still don't care because it's just like it just it seems like it's working. I, I'm right? trying to so, do it as natural as possible. So, right. um, but yeah, no, I said there's like um, uh, a fifth or 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 I don't know how much that is. Uh, and, a little more than a tenth of the cider I, I withhold, um, at least because it doesn't match also my aesthetic um, uh, standards. I, I and it's not just a malolactic. Maybe it is that um, 
I get some, there was one site or a couple of years ago that was, it was too farmy, um, which a lot of people loved, but I didn't. So I was like, I'm not selling it anymore. And I just, um, I, I pulled it and, and I, I drank this, I drank this myself. Um, I just, you know, you're as an artist, you kind of want to, you have, you, you want to, um, you, you want sort of control of, of, to, to, of, you, you want, I don't know. It's, it's some, it's almost like a, like a performance. You, you, you want things to go well. You don't want it. Um, I, anyway, I have a, I have a, a vision for, um, yeah, you want to be true to your vision is probably, I guess. Yeah. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah. Oh, this was the very first thing I said earlier is that this is fine line between manipulation and persuasion. <laughs> right. Um, right. <laughs> um, but, um, <laughs> yeah, it's they're really the same thing, I think. But uh, um, I, I just so, want, uh, yeah, I want, I don't want to put something forward that doesn't taste like what I know those apples taste like um, fermented. And if it's too buttery, then I say, like, that's not you're, you're not tasting the apple. You're tasting um, this particular. Um, uh, enzyme or yeast or you know for sure if it's bread um it, bread i'd luckily have i i ever get but it's there's this one farm note that a lot of british ciders have but it has this sort of briny like um almost like you're eating a gherkin or something um and sometimes my ciders get those and i just feel like it's it's I, I like it. I really like that cider. And yet, nonetheless, I'm not going to sell it because it's just, to me, it doesn't, it's not the accurate um, uh, uh, picture of what I know this, where those apples are growing. Um, I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I mean, I, I feel the same way. I guess that's my biggest complaint and concern about natural wine is that I feel like to the extent that we tolerate what I would consider these these dominant notes to be what we think of as as natural wine, I don't think it's sustainable because I think at some point we get tired of that because that's there's a sameness to that. Like mm -hmm. there's a it's like I know what Brett tastes like, I know what vinegar tastes like, you know, <laughs> I know like I know what hydrogen sulfide smells like, and none of those things are the things that I go to to wine or cider for, and and if that is what we think it is because we're making it in a natural way, I feel like the bar is too low. I think we need to, you know, you know, I think, I think we need to be able to taste the fruit and, and mm -hmm. the land, the, the terroir, the, you know, the location and, yeah. and not those other things. Um, you know, I mean, not that you can't taste them, but that they, they need to be in balance with those other things. If they're part of the terroir, if it, you know, if it's part of that, area naturally for whatever reason i, I get it but it, you know it, it can't be the only thing that you're tasting and and i guess i'd love to see us heading in that direction with with the natural beverage movement that people get raise the bar a little bit in terms of what they'll tolerate and and get a little better educated about those things so that they don't think like that is what natural wine is like i think natural wine could be much better than that and natural cider is you know you're probably setting the bar for what it should be um yeah uh, I, I think there's a lot of room for um for the uh 
for people who uh, really want to experiment with um, with uh, different yeasts, um, and that those um, the the flavor profiles of those um, biological elements. Um, there's a lot of room. I just it's not what I'm going for. You know, I mean, obviously with the yeah, there's there's three species um, here. There's humans, there's bacteria, and there's the apple tree or in grape uh, vine. Yeah. But it's um, but yeah, there's three species, and and um, you could try to have each of those equally uh, represented so that none of them are are dominant, or you can um, or you could let uh, sort of the, the human dominate, like they, one would, I think, you know, to me, champagne, um, as it's, um, is a, it's, is, is, um, can be overly, yeah. Yeah. It's like a little bit too much human. And it's like, I taste, I taste someone's hand a little too much. Um, it is definitely a lot of it made in a laboratory for sure. Yeah. The, the, the the yeast, uh, the disgorgement, uh, the the way that grapes are grown. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to taste the human hand. Um, um, and I really don't want to taste the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, bacterial element because to me the 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 wonder of of these apples that i'm foraging is just it's just it's like paradise just seeing these trees it's um philosophically just even thinking about how they how they got to where they are and how they continue to live and what they contribute i mean it's just such an absolute miracle that uh you know that's so in my aesthetic, that's how I want, I want that to be what people are drinking, that that's, I, you know, it's, it's impossible, but I would love for them to see, um, see these things in the bottle, I guess. Mm. It's, you know, it's, it's funny, like all reading your book and, and sort of my own romance with cider, um, began in a way I'm from, I'm from small town, Pennsylvania and South central Pennsylvania. And, and, uh, it's, it's apple country really. Like it's mm-hmm. the Appalachians. I grew up like a, a couple miles from the Appalachian trail and it's, you know, it's like rolling hill, rolling mountains, Appalachian mountains with these clearings of orchards. Uh, yeah. Know, that's where I, yes, I said my, yeah. You're Hagerstown, Maryland, by the way. Um, yeah, yeah. Cause so, that's, that's where I said my first word is where my first experience with apples was that, that exact region. Yeah, I'm like thir- 30 minutes North of Hagerstown is where I grew up. Basically. Yeah. And, and when I go home, cause my parents still live there, I, basically what we do for activities is go get lost on country roads and hmm. we'll, you know, we'll just find ourselves in the middle of nowhere, you know, having like come off some dirt road that's actually like a state road mm-hmm. and and we'll be in an orchard like clearly nobody it's a state road but nobody uses it other than you know the farmers who live right there like we just drove between their barn and their house on the, you know <laughs> and it felt like a driveway but there was like a stop sign and a road sign you know <laughs> and uh and it, it's magical i mean it's it is one of my favorite things in life to do is to be out there amongst that in those orchards and those are cultivated orchards those aren't even the wonder that you're talking about of seeing what can happen when those when they when they go back to nature or when they when they 
move around and start planning themselves naturally. Um, and it's still amazing. And, uh, you know, we're, I mean, we're just constantly stopping and finding like fallen apple. Like it's usually after the pick, like late fall or something, just picking up these sort of mealy apples, but they're still the best apples that I've ever had in my life, you know? Mm. Um, I, I mean, at least for a long time, because I'm, you know, in California, we get whatever has been refrigerated in Washington over the winter or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, so I, I, I'm leading to a question here, not just tangenting, but, you know, I think, this, you know, I can make this the last question. If you want to, how, how do we convey that? Or, you know, and I, I would say this about wine, and I, I think there is sort of an amazing thing with, with wine that can happen when you experience it that way as well how do you and, and just the broader question of how how do you translate that to the customer to the consumer um who has the power to really change society by the choices that they they make when they're purchasing a cider or wine like how do you how do you convey the importance of where it was grown and how it was grown i don't know like what what have you, you you've done a good a fair bit of talking to the public and and i'm, I'm i hope to at some point but i'm just curious what you what you found works in terms of communicating it's i think in order to be effective um you have to start with questions about um where they're coming from and and uh try to see what their experiences are and um what maybe their attitudes or prejudices are um that sounds like a one on one to one to one kind of conversation right e- kind of- yeah, um, or you know, if I'm doing a, a talk, um, where do you start with your talks? Like, what's the what's um, your opening? Well, this year I've been starting with health, <laughs> um, <laughs> which I think is um, it, it doesn't have to be this year. The uh, the COVID year, it could be. Um, um, it, it really is. It's our, the common denominator with uh, with anybody whose interests are art or um, or science or money or whatever it is. I mean, everybody has health at um, um, as you know has has a great interest in that. Um, um, it's it, if somebody's um, uh, main motivation is. Uh, um, money, then I'm especially challenged um, to try to get them to see um, the value of of, of the um, wild apples or or an uncultivated uh, farm in which you're not maximizing the the acreage. Um, but um, um, it's challenging. I just uh, I think you know one of the lessons I learned this year. Um, um, this was. On a, on a, uh, was um, you know as this this was the summer with the with protests and um, um, occurring around over uh, uh, the racial equality um, is is um, everybody it just seems like everybody knows everything and everybody's right and nobody's like the other person's always wrong so. Um, I, I, it's it's hard to it's hard to do a, a talk or a lecture uh, because they're holding you as a um, as an expert on this. But um, 
to me, it, it in order to effectively connect, um, it does somehow have to be, um, you just have to listen. Um, and then, and then once you've found a bond, I don't know how, then, then you can sort of start translating the lessons that you've learned into that sort of that, that new common language, which, um, if, you know, it could even be sports, um, you know, um, but, but something that's, uh, disarming enough for somebody who, who possesses, uh, a, a contrary, uh, view in this case of cultivation. Um, um, so I, I don't know, I, maybe just this, this is just happens to be what's on my mind, uh, recently. So <laughs> that's the way I ended up answering that question. But, um, uh, I'm not good at going up in general, uh, at doing lectures or, um, uh, and, and just telling people like, this is the way it is because, um, I, I've seen way too often that, um, that, that things are, are different everywhere. Um, that what makes was 100% true and absolute in one location isn't in another. And, and, you know, how do you, how do you account for that? So, um, I'm just used to being, um, surprised and wrong. So, um, so I, I don't have the confidence that I think it takes to be like an expert lecturer. Um, (laughs) but, uh, I do have, uh, um, my, my, my snaky way of, um, of, of bonding with people to, to at least the level where like we're, we're both brothers or all people. And now at least they can respect me on that level um, enough to hear my side of the story. I don't know. And and I think the first thing you said probably is a key to that, which is, you know, listening. You said, you, you mentioned just asking people questions and finding out where they're coming from. Uh, it sounds like listening is probably a big part of your ability to to get to that point. I'm guessing. Well, in art, that's you know, I'm from a painting background. That that listening is called seeing. Um, you're you're rather than paint what you think you see, you just keep looking and 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 looking and looking. And um, you can look back at the history of art and see people like Giacometti or or. Cezanne or Picasso who who um, didn't go into a painting uh, Cezanne is a perfect example of this um, with this expectation of like this is what I'm trying to say it was just by by continuing to look while painting um, he was uh, flexible enough to um, um, keep noting the peculiarities that are that are that if one is truly seen um, will be able to um uh note and then explore i don't know if you know do you know giacometti's drawings no um he's as famous as a sculptor but his drawings are i think infinitely more interesting and uh and they come across looking like complete like the works of a neurotic you know he's just constantly second guessing what he's seen um but in the end i think it's that that process is um uh, makes his work feel so amazingly a- a- authentic, um, and um, yeah. Anyway, so I, that 
think it's the, the process of, of looking and just trying to stay open um, to what you're seeing is, uh, you know, that's, that of course is um, what I call uncultivation, but is perfectly um, uh, a, applicable or parallel to, uh, to uh, just relating to other people, um, cultivating relationships. Yeah. Um, so I'm not an expert, <laughs> in other words, <laughs> unless we're all experts, and then <laughs> in which case then I am. Yeah. I like that. Um, well, I don't know how to end this other than to say thank you. And I, I want to, people can uh, find your cidery at, is it Aaron Burr Cider, Aaron Burr Cidery.com? I think it's cider. I'm not very good with the uh dot com thing but i think it's cider at aaron burr cider yeah aaron burr cider.com yeah the name of the company is cidery but the um yes the website is cider aaron burr cider do you ship to california we do uh we don't ship in the hot summer but we we usually wait until the spring or no we wait until about mid-september when it's you know because it's still the hot summer out here (laughs) yeah um (laughs) it's probably our hottest part of our summer is september and october in la yeah ridiculous we'll have uh you know three weeks of 100 degrees easily yeah we don't we don't recommend buying wine or cider and (laughs) by mail that way but i i know people do um yeah we have a distributor in california um who um um you probably know Ravel Wine. Um, I, I don't know their LA rep, but um, yeah, um, that sounds actually really familiar. I do know them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if I know any reps either, but know the name. Yeah. Okay, great. So you have some in retail out here, then? I yeah, we add. do. Um, and if Anything I were Los Angeles, that you I know of? there is some place in Los Angeles because we have a friend who who took a picture of a uh, our bottle and somewhere out there um so i know that it's there i'm just i can't name i don't know the city well enough to say where okay uh all right i'll do a little searching that's good to know um anything else andy you want to talk about uh no i feel like that's probably (laughs) (laughs) there's got to be at least one or two minutes of something in there that you could edit <laughs> I'm gonna leave it uncut. It's it was pretty good, except my part. But uh, no, uh, you're, you, you. yeah, your their B thing is throwing. Is, I'm gonna think about that for weeks now. Man, it, it yeah, me too. I it's, it's changed the way I think about things in the same way that your book has. It's really I, I can't recommend it enough for other people to read. It's it's a great read, and I think just in terms of resetting expectations i think some if that's a theme that we've been talking about i think your book is really good at at that i think it digs into the pressures that are on artists and and to the extent that you want your winemaking or cider making to be an art it it's it's an it's an imperative read because i think you know it's 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 very a very realistic look um i don't think it's as hopeless as as you you seem not that you seem hopeless but you know what i mean like but it's not it's a i think it's very realistic but i think there's so much uh beauty and depth to it that it's it's hard not to come away inspired um i'll put it that way so again thanks for that well thank you yeah
and, th- and thanks for this interview. It's been great talking to you. Yeah, I've had a great time talking with you too. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. At some point in the podcast, I babbled on about another podcast that I listened to that gave me a lot of hope, and I wanted to share what that was with you since I couldn't remember it then. It is the Sustainable World Radio Podcast, uh, hosted by Jill Cloutier, who I think is based here in maybe Los Angeles. We might have to connect at some point. Uh, Her podcast is wonderful and a great resource to learn more about permaculture and just all things that promote a ecologically brighter future for the world. And this episode that I was speaking about to Andy was episode 151 in which she interviews uh, Dr. John Todd, who is an ecological designer. He is the author of the book, Healing Earth, an Ecologist's Journey of Innovation and Environmental Stewardship. And he does incredible work and his motto, do good things, in bad places has now become this echoing refrain in the back of my head that I hope to live up to at this point. 